0: Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank Gill. I'm a campus pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm your host for the show today. I am here with the guy who is the best man in my wedding. He's a lead pastor in the church of Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in the hot, humid Sumter, South Carolina, I am here with the very creative campus pastor, Mr. P. Hello. This Senior Pastors one half of the highly acclaimed and almost award-winning podcast The Morning After Ministry Show, all the way from sunny Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson.
1: I would like to share ideas and have fun with my friends.
0: Lastly, <laughs> he is the lead pastor of a church in Tarpon Springs, Florida. He is a Jacksonville Jaguar still, for some reason, and he is the other half of that almost award-winning podcast, Timothy Miller.
2: And I'm not giving away my shot.
0: Yes, dude. I have watched Hamilton like two and a half times. Two times straight through, and then the third time I just skipped to all my all, all the bangers that are on there. It is such a good How idea.
2: quickly did you move to the uh, Hamilton mixtape on Spotify? That album is so, so good. The roots just nail the cover so well.
1: More importantly, have you looked at the Muppets? Ooh. doing act one of Hamilton. Ooh, that I one, now it's not video, it's only audio. It's on YouTube. But the <laughs> Muppets doing act one of Hamilton I will find is that. spectacular.
0: Oh man. So Jeff and Dumar, since you guys are not talking, I'm guessing you guys have not seen Hamilton. I feel like today joining in, you guys have watched Hamilton
3: and they needed equal representation because I know there's a lot of pastors who've not seen it. So I'm playing that part today. But here's the you thing. You the I'm going first to pastor home.
2: I've met. Without, without I'm going scenes, to go so. home
3: and watch it, and I'm going to come back, and then I want to just see if you've set the bar so high that if it reaches that bar. Because you know that's what happened in Star Wars. Everybody put that bar up here, Whoa. and then it, 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 it like, was so bad. So you've talked it up so much, it's got to deliver for me now. Wait, what was bad about Star Whoa. Wars?
1: Hold, what you talking about The Last Jedi? Whoa. I was fine with The Last Jedi. I was oh. fine with The Force Awakens. I was Frank, I'm sorry Jedi.
3: I killed your... I killed your banter. The man.
1: rise of The Rise of Skywalker was fine too.
3: Okay, okay. The rise of Skywalker, I'm gonna give you that one. Like as if as best as anyone can come in and clean up a dumpster fire, that was it. <laughs> oh my
2: God. Boys and girls, we can take our kids to see Star Wars movies. Like this is a beautiful world that we live in right now.
1: Also, when George Lucas was well, in charge, we can't they went now. to Waffle they went to Waffle House in outer space. <laughs> Episode oh, wow. two, Space Waffle House is a legit plot line. So don't give me this crap about, oh, Disney came and bought it and they ruined Star Wars. George gave us Disney or gave us Waffle House in space.
3: Bro, I'm in South Carolina. Waffle House in anything will win. I'm just saying. <laughs> Do you have Huddle Houses too? <laughs> we have Huddle Houses. So basically, Huddle House is a Waffle House that takes about an hour longer to get your food.
4: Yeah. That's kind of how it is. Wow. Waffle House to me is 100% connected to memories of being in a band. Like... That's a hundred percent what Waffle House is about in my mind. But
2: because we have George Lucas Waffle House in space, we have Disney buying Star Wars, and because Disney bought Star Wars, we have the Mandalorian. Also, oh, okay. we have Galaxy's
1: Edge at Disney World. True, yeah, and Disneyland.
3: Hold up, is it true that there is no like Luke Skywalker or Leia or any of that at Galaxy's Edge, or is or are they there?
1: No, are why there? would they be?
3: yeah well that's the thing i was told the original they don't have any depictions of the original cast well
0: they they have darth vader and that but like you gotta think about it like the the some of those characters are not necessarily relevant today like kylo ren and and ray like those are relevant characters to like children darth vader is just like one of those characters that kind of like span all time of being like you guys are just
3: breaking see see here's where i'm at here's where my mind goes I don't know if you genuinely love what Star Wars has become or if you drank so much of Disney's Kool-Aid that you will defend anything they put out. I
2: I love you. I've had a lot of Kool-Aid. I've had a lot of Disney Kool-Aid. And that's fine
3: because I'm the same way with certain brands too. Like I will say something's great. And here's the thing. When I watched The Last Jedi the first time, I actually left it. I was like, that is really cool because they went a totally different place. But as I sat down and thought through it, I was like, but how can they save the franchise after this? They ended so many things and changed. So I don't know. I
1: think that's what Disney failed. wanted to do. Disney wanted to end what it had to Disney. They, they ain't no dummies. They, they're kind of like, God, they don't make mistakes. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: Okay. I, I will say this. I am a giant Disney fan, more so of the parks than the movie franchises, but um, I do agree that for the most part, when Disney touches something, it's going to be good. However, we can talk about why Splash Mountain is changing because they made a mistake decades ago, but we don't have to talk about that. I actually just watched the Disney movie on Disney Plus this past weekend. That was complete garbage. And I was very disappointed because the books were amazing. And what it's movie Art- was that? Artemis
2: Fowl. I have heard terrible things. I have not watched the the
0: the, the the so So the storyline is actually kind of interesting. It has to do with like... Um, fairies and trolls and and kind of like magic and stuff. Like it. It's a it's a, an interesting storyline, but it, you so basically one... the
1: whole staff of Bethel Church. Wow, <laughs> hey, we'll get hey, there. So
0: we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. Get 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 there. But but anyways, to bring this all back, since we I don't know how we went from Hamilton to Star Wars to this whole journey where we go here to Waffle House somehow. But let's go back to Hamilton and just say this, um. I I love Disney. I know, I know Tim, you were just in the parks. So you got the secret preview. Magic um, Kingdom. Yeah, what's your What's your Disney Instagram account? You have a special Instagram account we do. for Disney.
2: It is at Miller's and Monorails. That is where we post all things Disney from our Miller party, which is my favorite.
0: I love it. Yeah. So you had like a special sneak preview as a, right. as a season one. I, I was thinking about this. So – I love – there's two places I love to go to at Disney World that are not good rides, but they're great because they're relaxing, they're cold, and they just, it's after a long day of walking, they're great to stop at. Um, the first one is in Tomorrowland, the one where you see the innovations over the It's decades. a great,
1: big, big beautiful tomorrow, yeah. shining <laughs> at the end of every day. I, I, love
0: that, I love that ride because the modern day – Is definitely like 1996. They need to update the
2: modern day. The modern day looks looks like like the the
1: kitchen and living room from growing pains. And you
0: just. But the other ride I I try to always ride is the hall of presidents. Not because I care about seeing all the presidents and animatronics. It is just like typical patriotic propaganda. But if they. Like now that Hamilton is somehow in the Disney universe. If they took Hamilton and somehow just wiped out Hall of Presidents and did like Act One of Hamilton with like robotic rapping, that would be
4: with that blasting air conditioning. With that
0: such a cold oh. air conditioning, I've taken so many naps in Hall of Presidents. Perfect, uh, it's so great. Um, that's
4: like the that's like the uh, college football thing they used to have at Rock the Universe. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Go exactly. hide out in the air conditioning. Yes,
0: in the
1: horror Guy, monster makeup show.
0: There, will have to be a day. I think there is a weird correlation with pastors and Disney World. We have to talk about Disney World because three of the five here are big Disney fanatics, and so we should talk about that one day. Well, to what? be fair, to be fair,
3: I've not been to Disney since I was fifteen, guys.
0: So I'm pretty
3: sure a lot's happened since. What's the uh, the roller coaster that came out with Aerosmith? You know, that's the, that was the Rocking last roller that's coaster when I went.
0: Wow, that's the that's, last
3: time I went. That was that's still
0: that still exists, right?
3: Yep. It still, still exists.
2: My, my wow. kid's favorite ride.
0: Now, my brother inches. and his wife,
3: they are, you know, they have the tickets every year. They got married at Disney World. So I think we should just do a podcast from Disney once we've made it.
1: Done. I mean, I'm pretty sure
0: Tim and Andrew can make that happen.
4: We absolutely Listen, can. Listen, I'm, I'm holding down the fort of pastors who I have not seen Hamilton <laughs> and... Like, I don't like theme parks. So Disney's like the last thing I think of. I'm oh. like, what should
3: we do for vacation? We have full representation. Here, yeah. Jeff. I
4: mean, somebody, somebody out there has to relate to me. Jeff. I can't do it. One day, when, when this podcast makes it. I will watch Hamilton. And we, I can, can, I
0: will. and we, And like, I don't know, some company wants us to do a live show in Orlando. We will go to Epcot and I will convince you why you as an adult will like Disney. I so if you're taking you.
2: notes, if you're taking notes, Jeff does not like musicals, he does not like theme parks, and he does not like American football.
4: That's uh, I never said I don't <laughs> like American football. Well, based but I do on like your, rugby on your
2: Facebook posts.
4: Yes, I do like rugby. And if the if I had to only live on Australian National Rugby League and the NFL never came back, I wouldn't be upset. Yikes. Hey,
0: Let's dive into Clergy Cliff Notes. Clergy Cliff Notes are stories, articles, and ideas we found on the internet that we think are interesting, that have something to do with pastoral ministry and pastoring people. This first one is such a hot topic right now. I would love for Jeff to get us started. Um, uh, Andrew and Tim mentioned this on their other podcast called The Morning After Ministry Show. Um, Jeff, what is your Clergy Cliff Note?
4: Uh, Well, I don't know if you guys heard about this. It's a pretty low-key thing that happened in the world (laughs) of pastors. But um, there's this little small church. It's in a little town uh, named Redding in California. Uh, It's a little church named Bethel, or Bethel, some people like to say. Um, But uh, basically, they had uh, a—I'm trying to be gracious here, but there was a Lord of the Rings moment. In <laughs> the middle of what I assume was a conference, yeah, they're they're diehard Lord of the Rings fans for sure. Yes, diehard Lord of the Rings fans. So, uh, I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. But basically, now listen. In my denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance shout out, um, we have a pretty diverse ideas when it comes to you know the 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 expression of spiritual gifts, particularly the like outward sign gifts, speaking in tongues, things like that. There are churches that practice those. There are churches that um, don't. Our official stance is seek not, forbid not. Is kind of the way we talk about it. So, um, but when it comes to like this, uh, like prophetic, um, kind of, I don't even know how to talk about it. It's like this prophetic world of um, just prophecy and speaking things uh, into being, and like there's all this stuff going on. And what happened at Bethel was they basically cast the demon of racism out by channeling Gandalf. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's the most fair way to say it. So, I mean, I, I just, I read this and I thought, nah, I mean, there has to be more context, you know, let's be fair. And I went and found a couple articles and watched a five minute video and there's no context. I mean, that's just what happened. So I don't know what you guys thought about it or what you saw. Um, I assume most of you are in denominations or churches that are uh less comfortable with the prophetic this kind of expressions than what bethel seems to be so what what did y'all think about it and then i have one more question at so, the end so
2: jeff on the things that you're against you're you're now adding uh, the wizarding world we have added the wizarding staff and incantations from stage on a sunday service I, i'm actually a very big lord of the rings fan okay. big lord of the rings but against incantations on sunday yeah to dispel racism. lord of the
4: rings Yes,
2: I am against. And that. let's get it straight feel... here: if you're going to do the Lord of the Rings, uh, part, at least get it right. You can't chant True. the incantation after the staff has been slammed, right? Like,
4: it doesn't work that way. It's, it's you're not, not going to work. It's, so... Especially if, if, especially if, quote, you're going to say, quote, I think it's important of you to share the vision of Gandalf. The vision of Gandalf, as captured in the movies, is quite clear. The the incantation first, and then the staff.
3: Well, see, I think they, the just to be fair for anyone who hasn't heard it, the incantation was "You shall not pass." Right? I mean, that's they said it three times because Trinity, of course, right?
2: That's a given. And then,
3: <laughs> yeah, and but see, uh, I thought they would have leaned into like my precious. Like to me, like <laughs> that could become a song for them. Like they Good could point. have a whole marketing strategy behind it. Have a ring, you know, representing like kingship. Like it's such Bethel. But, the, you know, actually, the first time I saw it, what came to my mind is they killed racism and Kenneth Copeland killed COVID. Like, we're fine now. We're right? set.
0: <laughs> we are set. So, when I, like, I, we talked about this offline. Like, there is a, like, the article that you mentioned, Jeff, um, Pulpit and Pen is one of those watchdog sites that is sometimes not the best, like, source of information to be fair
4: they are very like i sometimes they start i don't align yeah yeah, Yeah. yeah. they start
0: a pot necessarily things they think are like wrong it's just a different denomination or whatever and so so but i saw and her. i saw a tweet of someone talking about this and like maybe you guys are like okay i'm not here to defend bethel but odds are you know it's probably something whack but like it's not gonna be as whack as people talk about witchcraft and then you're right i watched the video and i'm like yeah, there's no way to clean this up. Like I thought, maybe it was just like a a youth pastor doing a sermon illustration gone awry or something, but no, it's not. It's straight up what we are describing. They,
4: I mean, it it went awry. It, but...
0: it went awry, and I think like like again, I don't want to defend Bethel in in this capacity. I think there are other issues that they have that we could talk about besides the witchcraft, uh, Gandalf or of the Rings thing, but it's like it, it's one of those things where it's like. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think I actually do know the answer to this, but I don't know who's the accountability in this saying this may be a weird idea. Like this might be, this might, this is a little off brand for even Bethel, which is not off brand for Bethel actually, but like who, is there no one there to do that? And I think that's what kind of like shocked me when I saw this. Cause it's like, it's not even funny to think about. It's funny to us. Cause we're not at that church, but like, imagine imagine the like people go to that church thinking i am like hungry spiritually and i hate the sin of racism and i do want to see it pass and they see this and they believe that this this what is the secretism of witchcraft is going to be the appropriate response to it i mean i think that's to me that's the the frightening aspect of all.
1: i'm i'm not a hater of of beth like, i've got buddies that will not allow Bethel church or will not allow Bethel worship songs to be sung in their church just on principle. And that's not where I am at all. There's a lot of Bethel music that I, I really like it bumps in my house all the time, but I think, I don't think anybody looks at, and I don't let's just even remove their name from the conversation, that type of church. I don't think anyone looks at them as a theological powerhouse. I think they are a creativity powerhouse, They are creative arts, Their worship ministry, that's what they're known for. And sometimes when you have the cart before the horse, when it's the creativity and what can we do that's cutting edge and what can we do that is going to get people thinking and talking and how can we creatively address something, when that is your goal instead of the what is theologically sound, what is the most right and true way to deal with this, that can really make you look foolish banging a wizard staff in the middle of your stage
4: in the wrong order to be fair in the the wrong wrong order order. no i and i would say i agree with you in like in our world they are not seen as a theological powerhouse but there are streams in christianity where bill johnson is seen as like he is seen as not the pope but like a strong authoritative theological voice so to me that's where where i get worried is like there's a there's a there's a line at some point where things become dangerous to to young believers, and I think this is over that line because you are now in my opinion i mean this is part of the whole n a r you know new apostolic reformation thing if you don't know what that is i mean there's a wikipedia page and i'm i mean I'm looking at it right now, but they're trying to become a fifth branch within christendom so catholicism protestantism. Um, two branches of Orthodox, and then they would they want to be a fifth branch. So this is like a this is bigger than just you know a weird thing that happened. This is a consistent pattern over time. I, I think if we were living in earlier times, we would be seeing an ecumenical council over stuff like this.
3: I mean, I agree with you on that. To be one hundred percent transparent, it's weird that these churches who have like such what we would call like off kilter theology, like it's like they're still creating really good worship music in spite of their theology. You know, like I don't really. And so my tension is as um, someone who works closely with a worship team every week is I have certain people, their only interaction with Bethel is through the music, but I've had some Google who created this song. And next thing I know they're watching Bethel. So I think that it is healthy to have a conversation about what we, what songs we do allow because of the creator's, If a student asks me, you know, who sings a certain song and it's a Bethel song, I send them to the Shane and Shane cover because I'm like, hey, that's my scapegoat. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) Thank you, Shane and Shane. You've done a huge job for us.
4: Well, and that was going to be my question with this one is what do you guys think about the tension of, you know, I mean, I'm coming from worship ministry mostly. And as lead pastors, we all have a hand in what's happening, you know, in our worship ministries and what's going on on a Sunday morning. So. I think it's a question of, do you, like Andrew, like you said, um, out of hand say, because of the uh, where this song came from and the theological you know, ideas going on in that church, we just are going to, to me, that's kind of like a play it safe card. We're just not going to even go there. Or do you take it as a song by song basis and say, we're going to discuss the theology in each song as it comes up? For me, I'm more of the song by song basis thing, because I think it opens up much more opportunity for discipleship. And for my people to be able to think for themselves and reason theologically for themselves, which is way, way better to me than just canceling something out of hand and not having to deal with it.
1: I think you go to Paul at Mars Hill. Paul's there at Mars Hill and he says, you know, in him, in whom we live and move and have our being. Here he's quoting a poem that was very popular in Athens. It was not a poem written about God as we know and understand the expression. Of God that Paul was talking about, but that poem he used to be like, here is how it can be addressing the one true God. And if Paul could do that with a very secular poem, I think it's easier for us to do that with a worship song that is written by a group that misses the mark by a little bit.
2: Yeah, and this is, a, this is a conversation we're having at my church even right now. I had a, a new member just a few months ago stumble across Bethel and said, hey, I, I noticed we played a Bethel song on Sunday. I looked them up. Their theology is whack. What do you say? Why are we doing all of Bethel's music? And I, I say, well, we don't do all of Bethel's music. We, we handle this on a song-by-song basis. I've had this conversation with um, our worship director, and that's that's kind of how we treat it. Do we agree with all of Bethel's theology? No, but are there some songs that I feel like we can sing on a Sunday morning? Yeah.
4: You could kind of say the same thing about C.S. Lewis and his and some of his theological ideas and reading his, you know, his works. But Andrew, something you just said made me think of another sort of a, to play devil's advocate, you know, when you quote Paul at the Areopagus there saying and quoting a, a secular poet, if I was on sort of the, the Bethel end of this, maybe that's a way that I could argue for using Gandalf as an example of uh, how things work. I mean you know, to be charitable and fair, maybe that's where things are going. As I watched the clip of the video, I don't know how you get there, but I'm trying to, you know, trying to be charitable too.
1: Well, and maybe in the next few days we'll get more than the 5-minute video maybe. circulating and there might be a 42-minute video or something that we'll all sit through and group text each other about, but I don't know.
3: I definitely think it's creating a bigger conversation about contextual worship. Like I remember before this, remember the time um, New Spring did on Easter morning on the Highway to Hell, like yep, and that was a whole thing. It's like I mean, if you know the lyrics to that song, first of all, that's that's not even in that's completely in secular world. Like I think a lot of it is like we are a lot of the the pastoral way that people are thinking about the conversation is this: Hey, we're redeeming the culture, but I think it's the line of like, okay, what can we redeem versus what should we reject? You know, and, and I think. In our, we don't want to upset people, so we kind of go around the conversation. But I think having these conversations, taking it case by case, is important.
0: You guys remember Phillips Craig and Dean?
4: Absolutely. Oh,
3: yeah. You
0: know they had that song that was really popular called "You Are God Alone." It, you know, remember that song from before absolutely, time yeah. began? You know they were oneness Pentecostals. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they absolutely. were. I did not. They were modalists. They I didn't did believe in the Trinity. And so, like, I think so. Now, when you think of that song, you're like, oh. When they say you are God alone, they're saying like, we don't believe in the Trinity, you know. And 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 so I think about stuff like that, or I think about there's also tons of artists who probably have whack theology. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Dolemite. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm thinking how many times have I just just, ruined? You ruined the entire library. Ruined that
4: sweet sweet (laughs) harmony.
0: But I mean, but like that
4: was sweet harmony though.
0: I mean. There I I think though like to 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 I think ultimately the answer to this question, I personally believe, if there's a church that says, you know, hey, we're just not gonna do any Bethel songs because of the fact that we don't want our people to stumble upon Bethel theology, I'm not gonna fault them for that. I think that's a fair protecting your sheep type of situation. I also think in the way the world of CCM music is, nothing really belongs to one person. So like one of you guys said that you pass on a different version of that song to them or whatever, like,
3: Shainy, yeah, Shainy. like
0: that, that's fine. You know? And I think that there are, there's a especially in the worship world, no offense, Jeff, there's a lot of whack theologians, right? There's a lot oh. of, there's a lot of people who have like, why
4: would I take offense to that? But that's
1: <laughs> the create that's the putting creativity above theology. Right. Yeah.
3: When I was in undergrad, I roomed with a worship leader and he had software on his computer where if you're writing a song, and you didn't know the lyric, you would just type in two words like God and sky, and it would fill in the blanks with stuff that rhymed oh with that. My and that is actually real worship software that the algorithm was writing it for you.
1: Wow! But to to get rid of an entire catalog by, you know, we'll throw Hillsong under the bus because there are there are people that feel the same way about Hillsong music. If you're doing that, you better be going through your hymnal yeah. yep. with a super fine tooth comb as well. Because
4: Fanny Crosby, you're out
1: ex- exactly. Like you can't. How do Somebody you? Somebody just got mad at me. S- how do you say this modern worship song is wrong? But we're a reformed church when half of these hymns are written by these incredibly Armenian, yeah, people slave or owners. Vice versa. I mean, I mean, You, exactly. you have
0: so many. You, I mean, you, there's so many things that you can we can we can look through, and that's why I think I look at the end song and look at the lyrics, and if it's sound in scripture, I mean. I'll appropriate it and say I wrote it. <laughs> I don't know, you know what like, <laughs> if, <well. laughs> if it's
1: if it's sound in scripture and has an awesome bridge. There you go. That's yeah. the thing. It's got to have long, a sweet long bridge. bridge too. There we go. Yeah, one of
3: the things I'm learning about just worship, and honestly, even our sermons. If we're going to be honest, most of the times, if something really hits and it's in a good, sound, theological vein, that's always God working in spite of us. You know, like because the best thing I'm going to produce is something extremely flawed and broken. So if anything I produce moves anyone, that's not for me anyways. Have y'all seen on YouTube the guy who uh who who he's a non-Christian and he's reviewing Christian songs? Have you seen this?
4: Yeah, those are pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, he did he I did a million
3: times hole. by Hillsong and like mm-hmm. crying. Or Yeah, oh, it's
0: called it's called ten billion right?
3: 10 billion. I don't yeah. know. All I know is I sat it's 50 there 50 trillion 50 it's trillion good. billion. But I watched God show up in this guy. In the video, It broke me watching him be broken mm-hmm. by God, and I'm like, okay, so we're gonna throw Hillsong baby out with the water here, but man, like, and that novel, song
0: has the word evolution in it, which got <laughs> which got people mad in my church for singing it. Or evolved. The word evolved was in that song. Hey, uh, I love how everyone gasped.
4: Say, if there's one lesson to learn out of all this conversation, it's this, and I felt this strongly when I was the worship pastor. Pastors, you need to have a principled. Uh, approach to thinking theologically about the songs yeah. that are going on in your church. Because uh, if there's one thing I know, having been primarily a worship pastor and now primarily a preaching pastor, uh, people remember songs a lot more than they remember your sermons wow. and they're, they're learning theology. Ooh, Ooh, somebody didn't like that, but they just, you know, they, they stick in your mind. They're, mon- they're mnemonic devices in some sense. So, you know, there's theological ideas that are being, and over a 20 year life, of singing in church, you're going to have you know, things taught to you by the music. So that's just to say, you can't just say like, I don't know, that's the worship guy's job and I don't think about it. Like, It's part of the discipleship of your church. Timothy, um,
0: what is your clergy cliff
4: note? All right. I,
2: I chose this one because it is not my area of expertise and it is an area where I do wish to grow. Uh, it was an article written by um, it's up on Nine Marks and it's why pastors... Need to care about administration, and you know there's there's two veins of thought here. I just preached through Acts six one through seven, which is a popular argument that pastors will use because they say, "Hey, we need to be focused on uh, preaching and praying." Right? That's that's what Peter and, and the apostles in the early church were clearly focused on, and they want to throw out the rest of the New Testament where it, where there is uh, some some focus on administrative duties as well. So I kind of want to hear. Where you guys fall on this, and this this might pertain more to the solo pastors or the small staff church guys, uh, like some of us are uh, on this podcast. I don't have a lot of admin help, so I'm having to seek out those who can help me in areas where I'm weak. So what does is, what is your admin workload look like, and how do you balance that from your preaching work and your study work?
1: I'm terrible at it. It's just not good. I am not an administrator and I'm here to confess <laughs> I have nothing else to add. Beyond... I think
0: I think for me, I mean, Jeff and I keep joking about this because we, we used to have a side hustle back in the day where all the administrative side of that was the worst part of the whole gig. A um, oh, word. But like, it's one of those things where like, I think as a pastor, you have to kind of grow up and like learn those things. Otherwise... You're like unless you're just going to be an itinerant speaker traveling around the country speaking and you're just super gifted in speaking, you're going to have to figure out basic accounting, basic how to keep a calendar up, um, scheduling. Uh, You know, I remember the, the, the biggest thing I remember in math in high school. I was thinking like Algebra 2 or something. And I remember being so mad at the teacher. I'm like, this is stupid. Why are we learning this kind of stuff? I'm never going to need this when I'm an adult. And, um, and uh, they said like, it's not about learning algebra equations that's going to help you succeed as an adult. It's learning complex situations and breaking it down to be able to deal with complex situations. And I remember still thinking I hate math, but now I understand why we're learning this. And I think like, it, there's so many times where probably my number one question asking people um, other pastors is like, what are the apps you're using? What are the tools? Like, is there a spreadsheet that you're using as a cheat sheet to like get things done? Um, You know, when I was a youth pastor, I hated putting people in cabins and organizing t-shirts and stuff like that, but you learn and you figure it out or you find someone who's really good at it. And I think for me, it's, you know, when it comes to um, money, I'd rather get someone way smarter than me that knows how to count well than to even deal with it. I'll I'll count to be a second set of eyes, but I don't want to deal with the actual budgeting or accounting of it all. Um, but, I mean, for example, every every month when I have to get all my receipts out and turn those in, I just put on a good podcast and zone out and just punch those things out for a couple hours because I I'm not a fan of it, but I do think it's a, a crucial aspect of ministry that often is like, the sour side. I haven't I, – to meet a pastor that's really good at administration that, that also preaches is probably also an executive pastor.
3: That's <laughs> what I was about to say. Well, first of all, practically, have you heard of Shoeboxed? That is amazing. It's, a, it's an app. Shoeboxed? Yep. You just take a picture of your receipt, write what it is, what you used it for, and every month it shoots them to an email in one PDF. Like that's how I send it to my assistant because I stink at receipts. I got that mm. shirt that says I may have lost my receipts, but not my salvation because that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, Shoebox is awesome. Um, if you're listening now, check that out. I, but for me, when it comes to administration, I'm just, that's not my wheelhouse. I wish it was, but it's not. Like when I have it, I feel the joy leaving my body. Now, granted, <laughs> a lot of people who don't have that gift, you might be more of a extroverted or attractional person, possibly like that's where I would say, lean into Frank, find someone who can, who can do that, who can catch your flank. Here's what I run into. Maybe you don't struggle about it because I hate it so much. I feel like when I'm asking someone else to do it, that I'm loading this burden on them. So I'm less inclined to actually ask somebody Mm -hmm. when there are actually people in my life who get an immense amount of joy of putting my receipts in. And I'm like, I don't understand that. But like I'm learning like there are people who actually get joy out of the things I hate and I, I feel like because I put that on them what they hate'm I'm, I'm actually removing ministry opportunity in my own space because of my own perceptions
2: so if we don't like doing something as pastors is that an excuse for us to do it sloppily I guess that's that's another question we could ask here too like should we still do it well even though we don't like
0: doing it I think I, th- I mean I think hundred percent you should be figuring out a way to do it well in spite of the fact that you don't like it. Like, I mean, create systems in your own life to create efficiency, to be able to do it well, even if you don't like it or find like, or immediately find that person that Dunbar said that like, there are people I've met who say I get so much joy opening up a spreadsheet. And I'm like, yeah, I've never, that there's not a single cell in my body <laughs> that enjoys opening that app. But I, if you do, then like let's chat. And I think like, to to say, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to do it well. That's like, I mean, I know people who love preaching, but hate studying, right? So, like, if you love to communicate, but you don't do the word work, then you're going to have really bad sermons. You can't, you have to figure out how to do the word work to be able to preach well. In the same way, you have to be able to, you have to be able to figure out your budget if you want a church to preach it, right? So, like those things have to be done well and you don't get, you don't get the option is because you're not good at it you know
4: and i think everybody every all of us are you know, kind of creatives in some way i mean where if you're writing sermons you're a writer and you're you're a communicator and that's in the creative world and there are tasks within cre- creative ventures that are more administrative so you know i'm a guitar player uh tim i think you're a drummer and mm-hmm. like there are tasks within that that are just like i have to get guitar picks and change strings and make sure my electronics work but i do that because i you know the end result is something i really want and if you really want to disciple people administration is just it's i mean it's a gift in the scripture so i mean you can't one of the i would say two things about it number one as a solo pastor shout out to solo pastors uh (laughs) you you know there isn't anybody in the office all week especially during a pandemic there's nobody ever here uh but You have to um, be good enough at administration that you are not basically stealing from the church. Because what I mean is you are not just doing nothing with the hours they're paying you. People are putting their money into an offering bucket to pay your salary, not for you to sit around. So there are always administrative things you can do, and it's it's really just not a choice. I mean, you, you just can't. You just can't. So a tool I use, I, I have had to come to the realization that I can't use electronic tools. I get too distracted. Um, and so I use a paper planner called Sacred Ordinary Days, which combines some other, um, it combines like daily scripture readings and a little more liturgical stuff. But um, it uses the philosophy. Some of the full focus planners do this, where there are three tasks you want to accomplish in a day, and you you focus on those, and because that's really all your brain can kind of hold and it's mo- in your mind at once. So at the beginning of each day, you know, you sit down and you say, "Okay, what are the three things that I have to uh, accomplish today? And for me, Mondays are the day when I do a lot of the administrative stuff, uh, which includes things like social media and that. But I also, um, you know, I mean, now it's all thrown off. But that meant that would mean I would just check and make sure our assistant treasurer had dealt with the offerings and he was going to take care of putting that in the bank and all that stuff and i hate doing that and the receipts like i just it drains life from me but you know i think too there's something as i would say uniquely as younger pastors like if you're sloppy with administration you you're just giving leadership chips away you're throwing them away like you know you're you're losing respect and trust yeah because you're not taking that part seriously and most uh people that are boomers that i know administration is really important to them and there's you know there's there's a good reason for that and so i think you have to honor it and i think one thing i found is that number 1 i have to name that as an as a weakness and an insecurity and not try to act like oh yeah yeah i'm good at administration too you know i'm not good at everything there's a few things i'm good good at and there's a lot of other things i'm not and you have to be willing to not try to act like oh no i can't handle everything yeah i, I got it i don't got it um and then secondly i think it's important in our communication like from the platform, not to joke around about administration and make it feel like a second class, you know, like gifting to people. Because I, I can tend to do that, like make it like, oh, I don't do that. I, I'm not good at administration. I don't get it. You know, and sometimes I've found that people then won't want to volunteer to take that for you because That's good. they kind of think you're it's like a second, second class.
1: They
3: think you won't value their work.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, my my thing with with tasks that I know I'm going to struggle with is I try to get them done first. You know, the sermon's going to get written that week. Um, but updating the website, making sure that last week's sermon is up on the website, I try to get all that stuff done at the beginning of my week because if I don't, yeah, good. it hangs over my head and I tell myself, "Oh, I'm not leaving today until it's done." And then, you know, someone wants coffee. Or, you know, someone comes in and I find a way to push it back, push it back and push it back and so the stuff that left to my own devices, I would push to the back burner. I make myself get that done at the beginning of the week so that I can be free to focus on the stuff yeah. that I do like later. In the I week. almost have
4: to, like, clear my mind of the administrative stuff. Yeah, to write that's sermons. exactly how I am. Mm. That's Yeah. Good.
0: There was a – I forgot what article I read this in, but uh, I talked about this on 15 Minutes with Frank is about the um, swallow the frog theory. Yep. It's like you just – whatever the hardest task that you don't want to do, do that first in the very first part of the week. And therefore, like the stuff you do enjoy, like if you do enjoy writing sermons, like that's going to come easier to you. And you're willing to do that at like midnight when your kids are asleep or whatever because you just enjoy that so much where you're not going to want to do receipts when kids are asleep. You're going to be like, I'd rather sleep you know.
3: That's actually how I stack my Monday. It's a lot of administrative and meeting stuff in the morning. Now what I do to make Monday enjoyable though, I plan my favorite meeting of the week at 3.30 on Monday. That's our preaching team meeting. So like here is, I know that on Monday morning, we're going to be doing all this administrative stuff, all these meetings, but man, I love Mondays because once I get to the end of it, I get to like sit with my guys and we write sermons. So like giving yourself the reward of the work, I think is very important when it comes to
0: anything that you have. Hey, that was a great discussion, guys. Um, let's transition into the main discussion of our time today. What I want to talk about is all of us here, Andrew's the oldest. He's like, what, 47? Dude, three? I am
1: 37. <laughs>
0: you're oh, 37. you're I was, oh,
1: You are I'm, way bolder than I, I am.
0: Off. Off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Dad. Okay, I, I think that... Um, we we are relatively young um, and that's, and, and that's, you know, we all just transitioned to these different roles in the past few years. And, and so the unique thing that we're facing is the fact that we are ministering and pastoring people who some of which could be the, the age of our fathers or our, our parents, maybe even grandparents. And, um,
4: that would be a great band name, by the way, "The Age of Our Fathers."
0: <laughs> that would be a good band. Name. I it's guess really my good. question is good. My my question to you guys is this: is is how, like how is that working for you guys? Because I know when the biggest insecurity I had in youth ministry for years was not talking to the kids, but talking to their parents in a way where I can have the authority to speak into where I feel like there's issues going on in the home. And so, as, as a youth pastor who doesn't have any kids that was a big insecurity of mine speaking into the lives of parents and saying, Hey, if you do this in the home, maybe this will help your child's spiritual life. But, but now I feel that, that that kind of anxiety or insecurity is even amplified even more because now we're ministering to people who literally could be our fathers, who could be our grandfathers, who could be on our elder boards and stuff like that. And, and, and we have gone from, for some of which have seen us in a, in a lower pole, lower position to this main position where we're now pastoring them. How how do you handle that? I would love to know, what, what are your thought process. How did you handle those insecurities? And, and maybe even some anecdotal stories of when you served those people in those generations.
1: My dad goes to my church, and my wife's grandfather was a member of our church, and then he died a couple weeks ago. So li- literally, like, parents and grandparents. I know Tim's parents go to his church. Same. Yeah it's a it's a weird thing, but one of the things that was so fortunate and I don't know that I saw it this way at the time but at the church I was at previously I got put in charge of the young at heart ministry and we're in Florida so like uh, you know you up north people you think senior citizens begin at fifty five we're thrilled if we get a fifty five year old to show up we're like hey hey that guy is young enough to climb a ladder he's gonna <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you, <laughs> That that's literally the the discussion that we have when someone, you know, a young whippersnapper shows up. But so I got put in charge of this ministry that was 75 plus. And it turns out that being present and listening to people is what gives you credibility. Yeah. Sitting and taking time to be with somebody, to hear them out and just giving them your time and your attention is amazing the relational capital that you can build with just a little bit of time.
4: And even not even every one of every person, like in my church, like there was one or two hospital visits at the beginning that the word of that spread. Yep. And it was like, I had this, I had the ability to like lead, like I you know hadn't before that. For those of you who are
3: from other areas, like in student ministry, if someone my parents' age wanted to talk to me as a youth pastor, that meant one thing. I was in trouble. I mean, <laughs> like, honestly, if I'm getting a call from somebody, you know, fifty I'm in trouble. And so now I remember, I know the first time that I realized that is really clear for me. A lady says, I need to talk. So the whole day I'm sitting here going, crud, what did I do? You know, and uh, she walks into the office and sits down and then just starts telling me about her child. And like starts openly weeping and and I I don't know what to say. Right. And then all of a sudden she's, I'm like, well, how old is your child? And then she's my age. Yeah. And I realized this is a whole different like thing that I'm used to. And, and honestly, God, Jeff, what you just said, I mean, that's all I had in me in that moment was like, I'm going to listen, I'm going to pray. And, and it's a lot, whole lot of, I can't fix it, but I can be here with you. That's how it's been for me.
0: Have you ever um, been in those moments where you're talking to someone and you you're hearing them like pour out their hearts and you're just the whole time you're like quietly in your head like – Praying like, Lord, give me the words. Cause I have no idea how to oh respond gosh, to this. Man. I don't have any personal experience in this. And I'm just like like my face is just like attentively listening. in my mind, I'm like, Lord, please help me. Give me the words right now. Come on, give me, give me, give me like because uh, cause yeah, I mean, I feel like every hospital visit I go on, um, every funeral that I've ever had to do, I just I just plead with God as I'm listening to them share their story. Like, I need words because I don't have them right now. Um And, uh, and every time the Lord came through, right. Every time the Lord's like, here's some words. And sometimes it's just like, I hear you. Um, I, I know you're hurting. Let me, let me, you know, really simple, practical stuff that seems like it has no actual effect is what people need to hear. You know?
2: Yeah. This is a very real insecurity for me. I'm 32 years old. Uh, the average age of my congregation is over 65. Um, so for me, it has been a lot of questioning God in my own private time. of' God, wh- why, why do you why do you have me serving? I feel so blessed to serve at the church that I'm at because we have a lot of giants in the faith at my church, as in people who have known and walked with the Lord longer than I've been alive, and here they are willingly, um, submitting to decisions that I've made and willingly coming alongside of me and offering to help. So it's it's been very humbling for me uh, over the last year since I've stepped into this new role at my church. And for me, it has been how, how open am I to inviting these spiritual giants to, to walk with me, to wrestle with me and, and, and to pray alongside of me. Um, I've gotten a lot of help from some some really great men and women in my church who and I I don't think I could have done this without them and then I've got I've got seminary professors in my church some who will check my exegesis they'll have <laughs> out logos and, and they will in between services I have had pronunciations and my greek tweaked so that way I could fix it for second service so it's just it's <laughs> wow. very intimidating sometimes even preaching in that context yeah so Very real struggle in my world, but one that's also incredibly humbling as well.
1: I think one thing that we, as younger pastors, we think that someone is out looking to get us and, you know, here's this old person that wants to come and stomp me down. But I find that 99% of the time, older people really want younger people to succeed and it, I think it's so much easier to pastor a church of older people as a young person than it would be to pastor a church of young people as an older person. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. they show up with the mentality that they're going to be your cheerleader and they're going to trust you until you give them a reason not to. And so the default setting, I think for most of the people that I've, that I've dealt with is that they are so ready to cheer you on and to be in your corner And so don't you dare give them a reason not to be that you're not in their corner or that they don't perceive you as being on their side. Then you get in big trouble. But I think the default is that they want nothing more than for you to succeed because that's their church. That's their legacy. They've been given to that place for however many years. Of course they want you to succeed.
3: I mean, can we just go ahead and like agree, like thank God for the older people who are following Christ in our congregation. Oh yeah. Oh, sure. Like like thank I thank God that they will speak in and step like in between services. I've had the same thing, man. I was doing communion my first time doing communion um, at this campus, and one of those men just came up to me. He goes, "I've heard you preach. I've watched you do communion before. That wasn't you." He's like, "He's like, you need to be you. You know, like don't try to be the person who's impressing us." Like he just pulled me aside, and like he's, I'm telling you because I love you. And, and yesterday we actually did communion with our load in team, and he came up and afterwards he's like, "You were you." And like, I need that. There's a, there's an older lady who comes to church every single, several times a week. And she walks it and prays for every staff member by name. And what I'm learning is, is what you said is absolutely true. Even in the midst of, of this pandemic, a lot of the last people to stop coming were my older people. Yeah. Like they were like, there, there's some elderly couples, they work in the nursery. And they were, and one of them is, one of them is even recovering from cancer. And she's like, I get it. I know my risk, but I know my God. And I'm not saying don't go and not have risk, but I'm saying that kind of faith, like it is humbling because I'm like, you, you have more than i am given right now. And, and it encourages me to live up to it. Um, I will say this though. I came in today because uh, I knew we were talking about best tips for this. And I actually called one of my congregants, who's one of the greatest leaders I know. And I said, can you give me and some young pastor some tips of how to lead people our parents' age? And he actually gave me a couple cool things if you want them. What's Um, up? What are they? Yeah, he said the first thing. He says, we love your social media presence. But he said, please remember that it's foreign to us.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: He, he he's like he's like when we went underground it was so fast it was so quick he goes we want that we want to be with you we know the value of community but um but the social media world is not something we were born into we've all migrated to it later so like he says it's okay to use more kid-friendly glo- gloves you're not going to insult us and i thought that was that was really good um and then he said that uh whenever we're coming up with a plan And this is pretty, I thought this was really good. You know, I don't know about you, but even in my family, as I've grown up and became a man in my own family, I want my parents to see me more independent. It's a part of them letting them know they raised me and they did a good job, you know. So when I'm working out life, I'm like, here's my plan. His whole thing was this. He's like, you know, sometimes it's okay to realize that these older people, they're not your parents. And it's not your job to make them think you're independent and then be proud of you. He's like speak your thoughts out loud. He goes if if you're he goes sometimes it's okay not to just be like this is what we're doing. But hey, articulate out your mouth. This is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking about where we're going. I'm not certain that we're going here. I haven't figured it out. Would you join me in prayer? And he was saying how big that was for him as an older person to say invite me on that journey with you. So those were a couple huge ones that he gave me.
0: I think we, you know, we've expressed multiple times in different ways, the resilience of the older members in our church towards um, accepting younger pastors. And I think it's probably because like, I don't know about you, but when I think of people younger than me trying to lead me, I kind of cringe. You know what I'm saying? Like if I think of like a 25 year old saying, hey, let me run this show right now. I'm like, "Uh, I don't know about that, right? And I wonder if there's something that happens like, as you mature, where you're like, I'm willing to submit to authority by people younger than me. Or if there's just this grace that happens as you mature in Christ that says like, I'm willing to submit like God put this person in this church and regardless of their actual experience or whatever, like I'm willing to submit to that. I don't quite know the answer to that question, but what I do know is Um, I I'm more often surprised than I am affirmed that an older person is not into my leadership. Like most most of the time it's like, you know, you were present when I needed you, you have preached God's word, and and you're willing to see me as a, a, a image bearer. Like those things have allowed me to submit to your leadership, even though they may have gone to seminary and have passed before me, you know. I think those. That is actually probably the biggest challenge to me because I wonder in 10 years from now or 20 years from now, when there's a person younger than me that I'm going to eventually have to submit to, how is that going to like, how am I going to process that? I hope I'm as gracious as the people in my church, you know?
2: Yeah, I think as young pastors, we have to find this balance of showing humility without undermining authority. I think what we can often do as Young pastors is we, we may fail to lead our congregation mm-hmm. because we're fearful. We don't want to be perceived as arrogant. And I think that's where I might fall at times. But I think there is a healthy balance that we need to find there as young pastors. Yeah, I, I,
4: I agree with you. I think my insecurities will lead me to abdicate things that I should lead instead of, instead of leading them.
0: That's good. Guys, this that was a, like that was actually a really good discussion. That, that this is something that I've personally wrestled with as I I mean my biggest thing I've always joked about is the the biggest reason why I didn't jump from youth ministry into um into becoming a campus pastor senior pastor is I always made the comment of like what do I say to the to the mom who comes to my office and had a miscarriage and asks where's my baby, and 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 that's like an example of a question that I might have a theological answer for, but the idea of pastoring a person in a situation that's kind of like years removed from me and above me makes me it gave me so much anxiety for years. I'm like, I'll just deal with the guy who's the the, 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 the student that's addicted to porn and the girl that's smoking pot. Like I can handle those conversations don't give me the mom that's wrestling with the miscarriage because that's a little bit heavier. And I think like the reality is, is the nature of ministries you're going to be forced into situations that you're never prepared for. And there's grace upon grace in those situations. And, and what is amazing is those older people in our churches typically are much more gracious to us than we want to give them the the benefit of doubt for. Um, I really appreciate everyone's answers and responses. Um, Hey, here's what I want to do. I uh, We have a question today, and it was a question submitted by someone who Ooh, I'm, I'm guessing listening it. to the podcast. They, they are definitely in the Facebook group, which, by the way, if you're listening to this, the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, it's a Facebook group for pastors. Just type in Practically Pastoring in Facebook groups, and, uh, and you'll find it. And if you fill out the questions, you might get approved. Hey, the, the guy who answered this question, might. there's a couple of people I've rejected because I know they're not pastors. And I was like, yeah, you're not going to get in here. You're snooping, buddy. Yeah. You're Jeff's worship pastor. I don't know who you are. Actually, that's a pastor. Never mind. That's me. Um. All right. Chris Moore from the Facebook group asked, what is the coolest, weirdest, or most unique job you had before you became a
4: pastor? I worked at the warehouse for Ripley's, believe it or not, for about two years. <laughs> the one in Orlando. Yes. The one in Orlando. Drove a forklift.
0: The, the building looks upside down. Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah, but that's not the warehouse, but oh. yes. <laughs> the, crazy, the two craziest things that we did while I was there is we built a 12 or 15-foot tall King Kong that was made out of old car parts, and we built it and left it in the parking lot of a Walmart that had just opened in Orlando on Orange Blossom Trail, which is known for other things. But um, that was pretty cool. And then we had a... Thirty foot tall, a statue of Bumblebee that was made out of old car parts. That's pretty legit, and we built that in the warehouse. I have pictures. Maybe I'll I'll send them to you, Jeff. You used to
0: send me photos of stuff that yeah. was there that were mind-boggling. <laughs> Actually, we probably can't talk about it. But yeah, we like, should... shrunken like, heads. There's some. I mean, have you guys ever been to a Ripley's? Believe it or not. Oh
4: yeah. oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's
0: a weird place. It's a, it's a weird. It's place. a weird place.
4: That was a weird job.
0: Uh, Damar, you have any weird jobs before you become a minute pastor?
3: Uh, I, not as much weird. Like, I mean, from the age of 14 to like 20, I cut grass with my dad. He's a yard. He's a landscaper here in town and 101 degrees outside. Uh, you're running a weed eater and an edger and a lot more, but i tell you, it's a great weight loss plan because I lost 80 <laughs> pounds in one summer doing that. Just wow. chasing the weed eater around a yard. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's, that's the coolest job I ever had. It was actually while I was a pastor, but um, I, I, did, I did screen printing on the side. A friend of mine, we had an operation. We made T-shirts, like everything from ordering them to setting up the screens to the design work. Like that was really cool. I um, wish y'all done some of that too, right? Yep. Jeff and never, I
0: did something like that. I'll
3: never forget when we decided we needed to quit though. <laughs> My friend, he got an entire county's baseball order. We took over cool. the whole county baseball, not even thinking that – Every shirt had a different back number on it. Thousands sports, of shirts. Those,
4: are, those yeah. are hard, man. We
3: pulled a 48-hour day. And then we, I got home. I'm Wait. Exo- uh, like literally. Sorry. Well, that's two days, right? Yeah, I slept at his house <laughs> overnight.
2: I slept at his house. are just combining couch. the hours yeah. between the two of you. Hey, okay, okay, uh, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 48-hour. Like I slept at his house. And then the next day he calls me. He goes, dude. I'm like, yeah, man, we got it done. He goes, bro. We ran two entire teams. We put the numbers on the wrong side of the jersey. <laughs> uh, and
4: they, Frank and I used used to have a screen printing company <laughs> and we made one of our big orders and all the shirts were the wrong color and we had to eat that cost. It's well Ugh, the bad thing is terrible. they needed
3: the shirts by like the following Tuesday. Yeah. So we were literally running around to every Michaels in the Tri-County area buying all their Gildan shirts, that you know Ugh. the craft shirts yeah, so it was a cool job, but that was when we were like, okay, I think I think that's the end of our road right there."
2: yeah i I actually remember we we live in Florida, Andrew and I do. This is where America typically comes to die comes to die. <laughs> and I found myself selling door-to-door prearranged funerals and cemetery grave plots, and oh, I did that for God. about a year. And it was commission only. So if I oh. did not sell a prearranged funeral, my family would not be eating that week. I mean, the thing is, everybody needs that. Everybody needs it. That's it the sell. But that that is that's return what you... Customers. S- hold on, hold on. How, how did you start the conversation? <laughs> Can you just give me a
3: demo? You just knocked on my door. And yeah, you're going to immediately talk about my
2: death. Literally what I would do. It was, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, do you mind if I come in? I I work with, you know, so-and-so funeral home. And I'd love to talk about some some arrangement options we could make so that way you don't leave this burden on your family when you pass away. Ooh. So I would guilt Ooh. them into the door and then I would guilt the, I would then guilt the husband because the husband typically dies first. So I would say, Mr. Smith, do you want to leave this burden on your wife? Because chances are you're going to die first. She's going to be grieving. Do you want her to have to answer all these questions and pay? Or would you like to take care of this now? That way it's uh the, the, the burden is eliminated and you can, Sleep well tonight, knowing that when you die, it's already paid for and covered. Whoa, man, I'm in. How much? What's That's, your package? Turns out, some people some people make a lot of money doing it. I did not. I was okay. <laughs> like we we ate just fine, but I, I had uh, buddies in the industry who, I mean, my brother still works in in the industry, and you know, twenty to thirty k months are very normal for him.
3: Yeah, it seems you're much that better suited for the conversation about uh, death coming back to life than the life going
2: for
1: death. Hey, absolutely. Hey. Amen to that. I never did that, but I spent three years of college working at Denny's. So our Waffle House talk earlier kind of hurt my feelings a little bit because (laughs) I am very much a Denny's loyalist. I worked 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. every Friday and Saturday night because I went to a little Bible college where I was not allowed to serve alcohol if I was a waiter. And so uh, it was the greatest job ever. I loved it. All of my buddies would come in and hang out with me. They'd go out and do whatever they were doing on Friday and Saturday night. And then when they were done, they'd come hang out with me. So I still got to see all my friends. Um, the, the money was, was decent, and it was a whole lot of fun. And then when I moved out to Texas to start seminary, um, I had gotten a job as a valet at a pretty nice hotel in downtown Dallas. And that was just fun because you got to drive some really cool people's cars. I met Chameleon Air a couple of times. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> the such Jonas an Brothers,
0: <laughs> rapper. Oh my gosh, that's so uh, good though. Th-
1: the The Jonas <laughs> Brothers back in 2008. Uh, they were at our hotel and they were just incredibly kind to me. Kanye, he was also on, you know, kind of on the the tour circuit, and he had to take the freight elevator. and We weren't allowed to look him in the eye. What? That was a legit. This is. Listen, it was like when he was on tour with Rihanna in 2008, there were specific rules that we had to follow when he was at the hotel. And uh, again, great way to lose weight because you're sprinting to go get cars and uh, a whole lot of you know zero stress because you leave it with you. You don't take it home. And it was an exciting job. That's why. That's why I learned to drive stick so that I could get a job as a valet. That's awesome
0: uh i mean i had a fun job at huh. at the at college i worked at the kitchen and um i got, I just got to like i made i literally made the food for the for students and it was great because i got so much free food um and i learned actually I, like i will say i learned how to cook pretty like from that from that experience um not very good i mean you're cooking frozen food all day but it was uh it was a good time no but i think the coolest job i had and it was more of an internship cuz i got paid very little doing it outside of what i did with jeff i i worked i worked for this company called prodigal music and um and it was like it was like a it was like a they made like shirts and and signs and stuff like that but it was basically they hosted concerts and they tried to get tours to come through tampa and they would do they would host it at churches but once a year, they did this thing called Real Fest, which is like the big. Hey, fest. I like, remember, that. remember them? I remember the biggest year they had. Um, they had uh, Super Chick with uh, KJ52 and Disciple, and and I didn't really <laughs> care about them. the The bands I cared about was Flyleaf and Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. I think that's the year we. That's they, the year dude, my band played it. Come then. on. Yeah, not on the same stage go. in
2: anyone's
4: wondering. No, no,
0: no. But that, that was such a fun time because I actually got to do um some dude um, that
4: mailing show was
0: The mailing was I just oh. introduced my kids
4: to dude, That They show were was so freaked so out wild. It was so great.
0: Yeah. And I also have, and I'm not gonna say this online because I don't know where they are, but like I don't like Super Chick vehemently because of that experience. But I do love like I, I met the guys from Disciple and kj52 they were all super great dudes um and like flyleaf was yeah. great like like it was it was such a cool experience it
4: was hot man it was um, so hot that day
0: but yeah it was a big outdoor f- like three or four stage festival um and, and i just got to do a lot of cool stuff like meet cool artists and and do cool stuff i got paid nothing i don't remember actually getting money from doing yeah, t-shirts
4: stuff and stuff like but
0: i got a bunch of free shirts and, and free concerts but hey <laughs> this was fun. Um, it was it was cool asking that. If you have a question to ask us to end our show, uh, hit us up in the DMs on Instagram, or if you are in the Facebook group, um, let us know. Just ask a question. Weekly, I'll post the thing of what questions you want to ask, and we'll take a question from there. But uh, with that being said, I think this was a great show. Thanks for listening. If you can, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. This is episode four. We have three great full episodes that you can listen to in our um what's it called album archive archive in our archive um so wherever you listen to this uh please rate and review we have um amazing reviews right now like 16 reviews it's amazing uh if you would like please give us a five-star review because it helps us a lot we would love for you to follow us on instagram or on facebook all the links are in the show notes. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Del Murphy.
1: I am Andrew Larson.
0: And I am Timothy Miller. And we are practically past him. See you next time.